Hi, welcome to Arrogant Healthcare Marketing Bastards podcast for the week of December 6, 2010. This is episode 85. I'm Chris Bevelo, president of Interval, the healthcare marketing firm that puts on this podcast. Today I'm joined by Jackie Ritacco, a con coordinator with Interval, and Adam Meyer, creative director at Interval. How's that, Ma? <laughs> was is very, that okay? Very rehearsed. Was that robust yeah, and rehearsed? Slightly creepy. I don't, I don't know about robust. <laughs> rehearsed, yes. <laughs> That's my new favorite term. Robust. Hey, you stole it from me. You, it reminds me of the no. uh, Darth Vader Tom Tom commercial when he is like, "What do you, what do you want him to talk more upbeat?" Exit right ahead. Don't force it. Make it sound natural. You should have seen his face when I told him I was his father. I also like uh, line of sight. That's one of my new favorite terms. What was that? What was that one? That. Line of sight. What does that refer to? Or mean? It just means whether you know something or not. Oh. Oh, the garage is on fire. Where I didn't have line of sight to the garage. <laughs> what is your line of sight? I, I, it's, it's also a fairly common term used in gaming. Right. In group, oh, super. group, group stuff. If somebody like can't heal you because you were not in line of sight. Well, in the corporate world, it basically means, oh, you're $6 million over budget. I didn't have line of sight to your budget breakdown until just now. That makes sense. It's just like extra words to say we didn't know. I didn't know you were over budget by $6 million. I didn't know the garage was (laughs) on fire. Couldn't smell it? Well, that's fine. Very popular. Very popular. So how are you guys doing? All right. How are you? How are you, Jackie? Pretty good. Yeah. Pretty good I'm, over here. Are you ready for the Snownami 3? Yeah, we'll the see. The Wrath of the Snow. We'll see if it actually happens. I want yes, to fire up, the, our, fire up the fire up the blower again. Get the testosterone flowing. Brrr! Yeah, totally. <laughs> Inhale all those fumes. Yeah, That's awesome. Great. Puts you me don't right do it to by sleep. hand? Oh my goodness. We've got a we've got a what? pretty long driveway and quite a bit of sidewalk surface area it's to good take exercise. care of. So That's no. what she said. <laughs> what? Huh? Sorry, that was really delayed. You're gonna have to. You're gonna have to splice that back to. in. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, <laughs> she's turned on by my snowblower. Can't you cut that? Cut my comment out and put it like before your response to Jackie's comment, and then it would be hilarious. <laughs> because Adam has nothing better to do but splice your comments yes. so that they align with. Yeah, <laughs> splice my comment. No, they're, yes, they're talking about a big snowstorm, and we know that all you people that don't live here probably get sick of us talking about the weather all the time, but in we're, all sitting, right. we're all sitting in our homes, hunkered down, the sky's deep gray, we're supposed to get eight inches of snow, whatever. I like these days, as long as I don't have to go somewhere. Right, right. It is a Friday, and it's not supposed to happen until later, so that'll be okay, unless you're stuck at the office somewhere, right. which none of us are. Yeah, it's always fun when it starts right at rush hour. Yes. Well, I saw something Good on times. the news this morning. Uh, I can't remember what city it was, but the people were stuck on the road for like up to 20 hours. There was mm-hmm. a traffic jam during a blizzard, and the snow just kept piling up, and pretty soon people couldn't move because they were so deep in snow in their vehicles. Um, and the law enforcement and safety personnel had to like bring uh, protein bars and water to vehicles because people were literally stuck in their cars for like 20 hours on the road. Yeah, I think that was in Buffalo somewhere. They probably have worse weather than we do. So do you think people that are 
have put on healthcare marketing podcasts in Buffalo, talk about the weather as much as we do. Yes. <laughs> I would imagine anybody in the northern United States, any anywhere above that middle line probably uh, has something to talk about when it comes to weather. Let's hope we're not the only ones. The Tropic of Cancer line. Tropic of Kansas. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's let's get into some of this stuff before we lose our audience completely. What <clears throat> you know, I don't think anybody got the right answer to our last trivia question. Did you guys ever figure it out? What was the uh, question? What was the question again? What movie was this from? Draw something resembling anything? Draw We got about forty seven responses, but nobody got no it right. No way. <laughs> we have that many listeners? It's, or is it the same person forty seven times? I'm not going I to think, say. I think Chris just made up a number. Um, it's uh, from 1989, When Harry Met Sally. Okay, right? IDBM or IMDB or whatever. <laughs> yes, you're right. <clears throat> it's called. I just, I just, I just googled it. It was yeah, the first result. It. So we had to, we had to close that piece of business. So, good work, Adam. You win the free Kit Kat bar, which is appropriate. <laughs> yeah, I love from those. Halloween so. fun size. Yes. Okay, and I also wanted to just uh, say thanks to the people at the Carolina uh, Healthcare Marketing Group, CHIP Permis, C-H-P-R-M-S, which must stand for Carolina Healthcare Public Relations and Marketing Society, which is both North Carolina and South Carolina. I just got back from there yesterday, so I spoke at their conference. They have a huge turnout. Remember we talked about the Wisconsin group? When Jackie and I attended that, having a large turnout, these guys had 150 folks or more. So, yeah. Unfortunately, uh, it's the first time I've ever been to Charleston, South Carolina, and I booked no time to take in the sites. I've heard it's nice. Oh, that's a beautiful area. Yeah, Yeah. it it looked really nice from what little I saw. So next time I go, I'll have to actually pad a day in there. But, But somebody, I just wanted to... Uh, I can't remember his name uh, because I gave him a business card, but he didn't have one on him. But he asked a great question that I just wanted to touch on real quick because the whole presentation was about measuring your marketing results. And his struggle and the struggle of so many healthcare marketers is, you know, you may run a campaign for six months to a year, but we all know that for a lot of the things that we're trying to market, such as oncology services, orthopedic services, cardiovascular services, uh, what you're trying to engage people to come in and actually do, such as get surgery, uh, is totally predicated on their need for that product. And that need may or may not arise while you're engaging in a marketing activity. So you could have a campaign mm-hmm. for your heart center that runs a year, but that doesn't mean I'm going to have a heart attack or I'm going to need open heart surgery during that time. So his question was, right. <clears throat> you know, how do you because I talked about how you should you should still claim credit for impacting volumes or whatever it is you're measuring past the end of your campaign for this fact, uh, because you know you can't. Who knows whether people can have need heart surgery during it? So you should, for six months to a year after a significant campaign, you should try to track measurement uh, of the impact of that campaign. And and he said, you know, well, how do you? How do you actually know who's coming in because of the campaign? How do you go about measuring that once the campaign is over? It's a great question. It's something people deal with all the time, mm-hmm. right? So 
Uh, I think that the, the best way to answer that is to use something that I refer to as proxy actions, which is basically a substitute action. So it's a substitute for what you want them to do, which is come in and have surgery, but you create some kind of other call to action uh, that they can respond to during your marketing campaign. So that could be an online assessment, that could be a seminar, uh, that could be any number of different things. It could be requests for information, uh, whatever. And you track that, and if you're lucky, you have a CRM system in place that allows you to actually capture names. So you monitor and measure all of those proxy actions during the campaign, and then you track downstream utilization following the campaign and tie it back. And so you'll hopefully be able to gauge, hey, here's a group of people that came in and engaged us using these proxy actions during the campaign, and now we see them popping up a year or two down the road coming in for what we, you know, what we inevitably want them to come in for, which is some kind of care. Uh, and CRM will allow you to actually tack it back to the marketing effort when you capture right. names and that type of thing. So uh, I think that's one of the best strategies for trying to deal with that, you know, that struggle that we all have in healthcare, which is, hey, you can't, you know, unless you, like I joke, unless you put your billboard in the middle of the road, you can't drive people into your ED. They're not going to get in an accident because they like your advertising. So yeah, just something that came up during the, the presentation that I thought I'd share with people. That was cool. pretty cool. Yeah. So we're gonna, we've are gonna we got a couple of things we want to talk about, but we'll spend most of the time on an article uh, that, Jackie, I think you found this article. Is that right? I did, yeah. It came through in the Smart Brief. Okay, cool. And it's, and it's actually, uh, we'll provide a link to it. It's called Seven Tips for Building a Better Branded App. And it's on the American Express Open Forum. Have you ever guys, have you guys ever used this before? <laughs> Have ever you used yeah, it? Yeah, I think I, I've, I've, I've seen it, so I know I've stumbled in they here. They have some good articles. Yeah, it's it's kind From of a neat it's kind of a neat uh, place to be. I don't I don't really go there, but I'm drawn there by some of their articles every so often. So uh, it's kind of a nice resource for people, particularly it's aimed at smaller businesses, uh, kind of well, a community for them. It looks like this author is from Mashable, though. Uh, yeah, Sarah Kessler. We thought this would be a good one to discuss because more and more we're exploring with our clients how to use mobile apps or mobile websites for marketing initiatives. And before we get into this, this is particularly about native apps. But Adam, why don't you give a real brief overview of the difference for those folks that, like me three months ago, that probably wouldn't have been able to tell the difference between a native app and a mobile website and that kind of thing. Yeah, well, it's pretty, I mean, the biggest, if you're using the iPhone as an example, the biggest way to know if you're using an app or you're using a, a mobile web app is, you know, any, anything that's a native app is something you've downloaded through the app store, um, whether that's on, I mean, an, same with Android, they have an, an app store. I think BlackBerry even has an app store now. Um, so anything you get through there that you download with a little free button or if it costs money, that's a native application that's designed to run on that phone and that phone only, even though there might be another version of the application for a different phone. Um, a mobile web app is basically a website that's been optimized um, for use on a mobile device rather than for use on a, a desktop or laptop computer or a, a different device. Um, it's essentially just a, a web page or a series of web pages. Okay. It's, it's HTML versus objective C. If you want to, uh, talk in, in, in iPhone terms for how you would create it. 
from a technological okay. standpoint. And the native and native apps is just referring to, you could put proprietary in there. In other words, if, you, if you're developing an actual downloaded app, you have to create a different one for all the different formats. So if you want in all right. the different mobile phones, like you mentioned, Droid or Blackberry or Apple, you have to create a different version of it for each of those. So it's native to that, that oh, system. Okay. Correct. But if you're looking at a web app, um, typically it's, it's a, you know, a site that's going to work across all of the devices. So it's not something you'd have to recreate. Now that's a little bit of a broad statement because there are certain, certain, um, uh, features and functions that even web apps can take advantage of depending on the device, um, that's looking at the site. So you could, you could specifically create a mobile web app for an iPhone and take advantage of some of the features that the iPhone has in terms of like swiping for for going uh, page to page or, you know, that kind of stuff. Right. So okay. there's still some stuff that can be a bit native to even a web app, but that that's the biggest. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, let's just walk through. She's got seven, seven tips here and I think they're all pretty much dead on, but let's just walk through them briefly. Uh, the first one is a mobile app is not a marketing campaign, uh, which I think you could, you could substitute mobile app and you could say, you know, Social media is not a marketing campaign. Facebook's not a marketing yeah. campaign. A billboard's not a marketing campaign. It's a it's a tool uh, yeah. that should fit within a marketing campaign. It could be the focus of a marketing campaign, uh, but by itself, it is not a marketing campaign. We all agree with that one. Yeah. 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 I mean, you could potentially, uh, when it comes to like something like. Facebook, you could potentially create a campaign that is entirely on there for one reason or another. I'm not, I struggle to identify a situation that we would recommend that. Um, But there, but there certainly might be instances where everything you're doing is just there. You're advertising there. um, You're driving people to something that's there. So I could, I could see creating a campaign within um, a tool like Facebook only because it's so huge. The difference with the mobile app is, you know, it can't be your campaign because Somehow, somehow outside of the app itself, you need to let people know right. about yeah. it. So there has to be other ask, there has to be other elements to a campaign that involves um, a mobile app. Right. And yeah, agreed. When you read her, when you read her description here, though, I think I think the title is a little misleading. I think what she means to say is a mobile app uh, should not be a sales tool or a blatant marketing tool, because that's kind of her point. Uh, she gives us a, an example: a credit card company. Uh, that was trying to to build a social network using a mobile app, uh, but the but the app itself really had no functionality, really had nothing to do with what the credit card was offering. Uh, it sounds like it doesn't really describe what it was, but it sounds like it was just something funny or something trivial, a game maybe, because uh, the quote says, you know, the app had nothing to do with their business really, other than attract eyeballs. Uh, and so a lot of people were commenting, hey, this is obviously an attempt to just market to me. Uh, this really doesn't help me at all. So I think that's what her point is there. But either way, I think we're on the same page with that. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. The second one I think we kind of just got into says a branded app is not a mobile website. Uh, the two right. are different. Now, again, a little bit of a confusing headline. I think what she means to say is your mo- a mobile web application should not just be a mirror of your traditional standard website. Cause that, yeah, I agree. I think that's part. Yeah, I think that's part of it. But I think the main thing she's saying is that um, if if your if your intent is to get is to is to offer some sort of information on mobile devices, um, whether it's a 
in most cases, in this case, you know, your mobile website, it's going to be basic information, uh, typically at least, you know, like contact information, maybe some maps and directions, maybe some sort of physician uh, tool for finding them, but basic stuff. Um, But what she's saying is that I think the main point of number two is that you better have something that people can visit via a URL. If you expect people to go into the app store and download some sort of a, uh, an application and that's going to be your presence on a mobile device, you're doing it wrong. Um, that should not be your only presence. People should be able to open up their web browser on their mobile device and type in your URL and get a mobile optimized version of your web content. And it doesn't necessarily need to be all of your web content. In fact, it shouldn't be. It should be the stuff that people are right. going to want to access when they're using a mobile device. Okay. It was, right. I just read a story, and this is something I might blog on a little bit later, but there was a story in Business Week about uh, how people expect the big giant ad. There's four giant ad agency conglomerates, and everybody's kind of calling them dinosaurs, and they're going to die off because they don't get this stuff. And, of course, they vehemently disagree. Uh, but in there, it talks about how they, they keep getting all this flack and one of them talks about this conference, this advertising, national advertising conference, where somebody stood up and there was a panel of these folks from these giant ad agencies. And this person pointed out that three of the four of them did not have mobile versions of their own websites, which they were kind of calling on the carpet to say, hey, how can, you, how can you speak to the expertise of using these tools when you don't even do it yourself? Yeah. Yeah. Well, not only that, but I mean, there's a number of large agencies, even right here in the Twin Cities, um, some very close to our office who had, <laughs> their websites are only created like in flash, for example. Oh, yeah. Um, you could also say if, if, if you've got a website that's entirely flash and no alternative, you do not have a mobile website. I mean, I, you could, I've tried to bring up some of those sites on my phone and um, you know, to no yeah. avail. Absolutely nothing is offered. There's, there's a uh, great, I'll have to dig it up. It was making the rounds within the design community um, recently online. Uh, uh, in a blog post that somebody put together with just this massive list, I, I think primary, it was agencies basically from around the country, maybe even world, um, that are that, that have websites that are not viewable on mobile devices at all. It was pretty yeah. sad. That is pretty sad. Okay. Number three, a branded app should provide utility. <clears throat> basically, what that means is you should give them something to do, some kind of functionality. Uh, you know, perhaps that functionality is just reference information that's, that's, you know, outlined in a, in a convenient way, you know, that, that would be okay. It just shouldn't be purely about advertising or, or promotion, I think is the main point of this one. Mm -hmm. Right. It should, I think that's probably the best starting point for creating a native, um, app for any phone, um, you should never you really there's really no need to consider a native app unless it's going to provide some sort of special utility yeah. um so if you've got a great idea for a special utility that the app could be that's kind of when you should jump into the got native it. side assuming that you can't pull it off on the website there are a lot of utilities that you can also pull off with a web app um so it just it really depends on um you know what your goal is with that with that resource Number four is pretty obvious. Number four is something you should use in any marketing endeavor, which is focus on the user. Mm -hmm. So make sure the mobile app is user-centered, meaning that you start with them and what do they need and how do they want to use the information or the utility and build it from that perspective. Seems obvious, but it needs to be stated like every single time, right? (laughs) Right, right. Well, I think especially in our industry where 
a lot of decisions seem to be driven by outside of the marketing department, whether it's driven by physicians or um, leadership that's just not quite on board with marketing, people in that C-suite. Um, a, a lot of times in our industry, there is a lack of focus on the user and focuses on internal politics or satisfying somebody in, you know, internally. Um, so I think especially in healthcare, that, that bullet point really should be right. driven home. Okay, number five, build around mobile use cases. What that's meaning is if you're building a mobile app, uh, think about how people want to interact with your product or service organization when they're mobile. So the example that's given in the story is FedEx and how their mobile app uh, has some basic functionality that, that they've built around what people might want to do when they're out and about. Uh, it doesn't try to replicate what they would want to do when they're sitting at home or at their office mm-hmm. and have access to their laptop or computer. Uh, there's just different things you would expect to do. People don't expect to be able to do everything when they're mobile or want to do everything. So try to think about it, you know, if you're out and about or, or somebody's out and about, uh, what functionality you're delivering related to that, not just overall. Right. So it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, number six, think twice before becoming a game developer. So we, we talk uh, quite a bit on this show about, you know, you can't call it game theory because that's an economic term, but it's the <laughs> idea of using, you know, some of the components or philosophies behind what attracts people to games and gaming uh, in your marketing. Uh, but this point is basically saying, you know, this is a pretty special area and don't assume you can just jump in and, and use this functionality lightly. Right. Yeah. So I think that's well taken. And then the last one is, this is a really good point to end with. It's better mm-hmm. to have no branded app than a mediocre branded app. Yeah. Totally yeah. agree. So I, I think that's, that's not something we're struggling with yet with our clientele, because this is, this is relatively new stuff for hospitals, at least in our experience. Mm-hmm. So right now the challenge is convincing them that this is a a valid vehicle or tool to use, whether it's a mobile website or a native app. Uh, I can see in a year uh, or maybe sooner where more and more people are adapting this and it's it becomes kind of that land rush, like well, we've got to have an app. So they just pull together anything just to have one, uh, right. which obviously would be a significant mistake. Yeah, it's annoying to the people who use it. You know, they they whether they're accessing your website via mobile or they're downloading your native app, they're you know, people are expecting something that is valuable, usable, yeah. valuable. It's going to benefit them in some way. And you know, there's a reason that they're seeking uh your app or your website to begin with. Um you need to keep that in mind. Here's the here's the quote. I like this a lot. They're quoting some study of of people who use apps. The study basically says, take this channel seriously. Don't just treat it like a $60,000 microsite campaign. A bad microsite falls flat and it's designed to go away in three months. A bad mobile application does lasting damage. It's there forever. So take it very seriously. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. You can pull your website down at any time and people are not going to be able to access it anymore unless they go to some resource where the pages are cached. But then it's, you know, they're deliberately going there. They know it's not up anymore and they know they're looking for something that's archived. Mm -hmm. With an app, they've downloaded it to their phone. They have it forever. You cannot take it off of there. Only they can delete it. So if it's crap, it's crap that's going to be there until the user decides to delete it. 
Right, which is another huge distinction between a native app and a mobile website because a mobile website is right. really just a link. It looks like, you know, you look mm -hmm. at your iPhone and the little icon pretty much looks the same as the native apps. If you just looked at the icons, you wouldn't know the difference. Um, mm -hmm. But once you, once you hit that button, a native app is something that resides on your phone, whereas the other one takes you to a mobile website, a mobile design website, uh, which you can obviously change at any time. So I guess uh, I didn't know that. Or yeah. delete. Or delete. Okay. Any Adam, anything you want to add to that? No, I think well, that was a pretty good, pretty broad coverage. I mean, we could get into really specialized stuff, but <laughs> people would probably yawn. Well, maybe we'll yeah. maybe we'll save that for later. But we it'd be great to come up with a list like this for mobile websites. Uh, maybe we can come yeah. up with our own version of that. And these are things that would be great to share with clients and, and folks in the industry too to help move everybody along to embracing the, this, these tools. Mm -hmm. Okay. One more thing on this, on this yet to be snowy Friday. Uh, I, you both found this ad like simultaneously. Yes. Right. Yeah. It kind of made its rounds on the internet. So yesterday. I'll let one of you, you can do arm wrestling and then decide who wants to actually describe what it is and why you like it. Well, I think Go. Jackie saw it last night. So she's pr it's probably a little fresher in her mind right now. Why don't you? And you, maybe you're a bigger Kevin Bacon fan than me. Well, not really, but. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, come on! You've got a you've got a Footloose poster in your on your bedroom door, don't you? Oh, okay, maybe. Right next to the Dirty Dancing <laughs> one, but that's neither here nor there. Um, well, I was watching television last night, and there are very few ads that. I don't know. Usually, it takes a while, or you have to watch them a few times, and they're like, "Oh, that's cute," or "The song's catchy." But this one was just—I thought it was hilarious. Um, it's for Logitech, which I actually don't know what that is for Google TV or something, Adam. Yeah, they're, they're a, yep. They're a device manufacturer. Okay. Um, so they make mice and all keyboards and that kind of stuff, but they're, they're working on the, one of the hardware options for the new Google TV service is from Logitech. So basically, okay. basi I just read an article on this on the plane yesterday. Basically it's a piece of equipment that you plug into your TV and then you have this massive keyboard-like remote control. Yeah. That yeah. Yeah. well, go ahead and describe what the ad is, but that help it'll help describe why you might want to have this technology. Right. Well, it's basically Kevin Bacon as this guy who is just really homely and he's got a wig on, talking about how obsessed he is with Kevin Bacon, and um, I you know honestly I saw it last night, but I can't think of it. it specific examples maybe you can add them but you know he's got the footloose poster up and um you know he's he's brushing his teeth and he's got a little kevin bacon face on his toothbrush yeah, his, holder and his house his whole home is like a shrine to kevin yes, bacon there you go there's paraphernalia from movies and posters and <laughs> scenes where he's sitting there watching scenes and he's rehearsing lines there's, he's talking about no he had head. he had like a like an oil painting commissioned of him, yeah, him sitting and Kevin, and Kevin Bacon. Bacon, like standing behind him with his hand on his shoulder. It's like I've never actually met Kevin Bacon, but I had this painting commissioned. Well, and then it, so then the, the whole the whole premise is that he can use this Logitech gadget or whatever to search for Kevin Bacon films, you know, online, online. through yeah. his television, and and that Google will find every reference right. to Kevin Bacon video online and he'll have easy, easy, easily select it and watch it on his TV. Right. And then the funniest part is at the end of the ad where he goes, you know, my wife thinks if I 
continue to do this as much as I will, that I'll actually turn into Kevin Bacon, and then he kind of crosses his fingers in front of us. Like, like, <gasps> hope so. Hopefully, or something like that. <laughs> well, I think it's... I a, just thought it was fantastic. It is. It's a very funny ad, and it does a great yeah. job of, you know, it's not just creative. It It shows you why you would want this, which is you now can search for something using, you know, Google's powerful search, um, mm-hmm. the Google TV search function, which actually will pull through anything that you might want to watch on your TV. And it's not just movies, like Adam said, it's videos. It's um, It could be anything uh, that you might want to see. Right. So I think it does a great job of highlighting the actual benefit of the technology. I do question how many people actually need that or want that. I mean, do you ever sit down and go, you know, I'm in the mood for some Tom Cruise, so I'm going to search everything that's possible for Tom Maybe. Cruise and and see what I can find. I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe it's yeah, just not yeah. – that's not how I think. We can well, probably look up genres and stuff, though, too, right? The Yeah, I mean, you can look up – you can set whatever criteria you want. The problem right now is that video online is still mostly crap. And another problem oh. that Google is running into is that every network is kind of – almost every network wants to kind of do their own thing right now or else they have some existing partnership with like Hulu or maybe Netflix and they're blocking Google. Um, I believe every major network, I could be wrong. um, There might be one or two that are, that that aren't, but have so far I've decided to block Google TV um, from accessing their stuff. So, you know, you can pull up, you know, YouTube, I think was the example. Yeah, I can grab that because YouTube is owned by Google. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's, it's, it'll be interesting to see how these partnerships pan out and how people start to actually, um, how these companies start offering their stuff online in more of a structured way, or if it stays very fragmented, which it, Mm -hmm. you know, which I just assume it would, that was the part of the, the, um, the review was talking about how, uh, you know, once you once you figure out how to use it, it said it was very difficult to use. There was like a twelve step setup that said this it should be named Google TV for people that are really technically oriented and really really <laughs> want to find this yeah. stuff because it's really hard to get in there. And then it said that once you do, you run into exactly what all these dead ends that Adam's talking about, where it says, "Hey, here's a, a Kevin Bacon movie," and then you go to click on it, and the link says "Can't access." And you have to call, right. and, and the dude on the phone says, well, that's Netflix, so you have to go through Netflix to get that. Well, what's the right. point of it then? It kind of just becomes yeah, a three. Yeah. I don't know how much expensive how expensive it was. It's in the hundreds, 100, 200 something. Yeah, a lot of the a lot of the introductory or a lot of the base level products are right around 100 bucks. So the, the new Apple TV is 100 bucks. Um, the new, I think that one is around a hundred. There's the boxy box is like a hundred bucks. They're all right around there. End up, you can get them much more complicated. The thing, the, the devices that to me at this point, anyway, I seem to have the most, if you don't have a computer straight up computer hooked up to your television set, which is kind of what we ended up doing. We have a Mac mini on one of our TVs because it's really, it's really the only way to be able to access everything. We can access Hulu, we can access Netflix, or we can access any website from a network that's offering their content only through their website. Mm-hmm. Um, if you get one of these boxes, you're restricted to whatever that plat- that service is deciding to offer. You know, Apple TV has Netflix on their thing. Um, Google TV, obviously blocked by a lot of stuff, so may not be the best option yet until they get that figured out. Um, well. Otherwise, some of your best options really are some of the gaming consoles. Xbox has uh, right. Hulu built in, has Netflix access yeah, to right. that. Um, I don't know if PlayStation has. Yeah, yeah I'm pretty, actually, I'm pretty sure PlayStation does have with Hulu Wii. Access, access to Hulu. Yep. Problem with Wii is that you can't, with Xbox and PlayStation, at least you can get high def. 
um, quality to anything that's offered that oh. way. Um, but with the Wii, you can you can get Netflix with the Wii, but it's not high def. It'll be sampled down to whatever the Wii. And let me, it's I want to clarify the price on this because I think it makes a gigantic difference. So I just looked it up, Best Buy. The Logitech yeah. Review is the actual product name. It uses Google TV. Yep. Uh, if you know, this includes HDMI cables, which are probably screwing you completely on the price, three seventy nine. So that's a lot. Exactly. Jeez. Why in the world would you pay four hundred dollars for that? That just is craziness. You, can, you could buy you could buy a Xbox for one hundred and fifty dollars. I think they're down to right now. And you're already going to be wait. You're already no. It's yeah. going to do more because <laughs> you can access everything and more than that device can um, right now. Plus, now you've got a gaming platform um, that you can also have some fun with. Yeah, it just seems it seems kind of like technology that people don't necessarily need at a price that they're not going to spend and with a clunky service to boot. So that sounds like a winner. Yeah, yeah. But the ad was great. <laughs> the ad was good. The ad was great. I hope they come out with more. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, it would be nice to see some other actors or actresses uh, mm-hmm. doing that, doing something similar. I mean, for three fifty, you could you could literally go buy a small computer, right, and hook it up and have access, and then be unrestricted access to absolutely yeah, everything. That's pretty expensive. All right, well, we better we better end it there with our consumer reports <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> opinions. So, for healthcare, what are we doing? Are we healthcare are we best buy? Healthcare, what are we? <laughs> Arrogant healthcare marketing, Logitech review, bastards. <laughs> this is Chris Bell. I've lost it completely. This is Chris Bevelo. Jackie Ritaco. And Adam Meyer. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>